was like when he quit his job and went to hike the Appalachian Trail. Why moving to a new city had a profound impact on his life. How to not place shame on yourself. How to get right with your finances and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 383 with my very own big brother, Connor Carey. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, Nick Carrier. I believe the path to getting closer to the best version of yourself is different for all of us, but I do believe that it follows the same framework. You see, our lives have six different areas, health, personal, career, financial, spiritual, and relational, and in order to get closer to the best version of ourselves, we wanna be managing all of those areas at all times, but also spiking in one of them. If you wanna learn how to do this, then check out my free Best You Planner and video course at nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Again, nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Today, I am super excited to be bringing on my brother, Connor Carrier. I had on my sister not too terribly long ago, and we had an absolute blast doing it. And so many of you guys absolutely loved getting to know more about her and some of the questions that she also asked about me. And so I wanted to bring my brother on as well. Now, my brother is a little bit different personality than me. You'll get to know more about him as we dive into the interview, but he's my big brother. He's two years older than me. He lives out in Denver, Colorado. He graduated from CU Boulder, University of Colorado a couple years before I did, so about 2015, and he's lived out in Denver ever since, and he's worked in finance ever since. So we'll dive a little bit into how to set yourself up for success with your finances. And then, like I mentioned, he quit his job one summer and hiked the entire Appalachian Trail. And so we talk a lot about that as well. But this is going to be part number one of our conversation because part one is going to be mostly me interviewing him and having a little bit of dialogue and conversation back and forth. And then part number two to come out in a couple of days is going to be mostly him interviewing me. But before diving in, be sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure to share this episode with a friend while you're listening. Just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here we go. Here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Connor Carrier. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I am super excited to be joined by the one... The only Connor Carrier, my big bro. Uh, I just want to start off by saying, Connor, thanks for spending the time with me today. What's going on, Nick? Thanks for having me, man. I'm stoked to be here finally. Let's go, baby. Let's go. No better way to start off a Saturday morning at the time that we uh, are recording this. So uh, Connor is my older brother. He's two years older and I guess two years, yeah, two years older and he lives out in Denver, Colorado, and I'm just going to have him start off by kind of introducing himself a little bit further and what he does for work, and then we're going to kind of dive into the main part of the podcast after that. Yeah, so like Nick said, I'm his older brother, two years older. I'm the uh, quieter, more uh, monotone brother. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> quite as enthusiastic as Nick, and I live out in Colorado. I've been out here for a while now. I went to school at... Uh, University of Colorado at Boulder. Yeah, I moved to Denver after school and I've been working in finance ever since. And I um, do a lot of hiking. We're in middle of ski season right now, despite our 65 degree week this past week. I think the snow's starting to uh, return and it's going to punch us in the mouth here this weekend. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he and uh, my sister both live out in Denver now. And so they talk about how they go skiing 
every weekend or every other weekend at least. And it definitely makes me want to go out there. But anyways, the question that I want to ask, I just told you that we were going to start off with a question that I hadn't prepared you for. And I really only, we only talked about two topics that we were going to discuss. But the topic I want to discuss, because I feel like it's had such a profound impact on both me and you, and hopefully now Kelsey a little bit. And that's the topic of moving to a different city or a completely different place to an area where you really don't know people very much. And so you did it immediately with college. I kind of, you know, when I went to college, I was still in Georgia, close to home, knew a decent amount of people. And so my move wasn't really, my big move, if you will, wasn't necessarily until Nashville, but you did your move right into college. And so question I want to ask you is, what do you think are maybe two of the biggest positive impacts that moving to a different city had on you? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, think about it now, it's kind of crazy that I moved out here because I, I really didn't know hardly anybody out here. And unlike Nick, I'm a little bit quieter and I was a little bit more more shy, I guess, coming out of high school. And then, you know, going to see Boulder, I mean, it's got 30,000 people undergrad and, you know, I didn't know any of them. So just kind of jumped into the land of the unknown uh, in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think just getting out of your comfort zone is such a massive thing. It's so easy to, uh, you know, lean on what's comfortable sometimes. And I was kind of forced to make new friends and figure out my own way. You said that the two things that I've gained from doing that. Yeah. I think just realizing that getting out of your comfort zone is a good thing and that's what creates growth. And then just also gaining the confidence that you're adaptable and you're resilient and things aren't going to be comfortable right away, but you know, you're going to, you're going to figure it out. You're going to adapt. You can kind of take that lesson, apply it to a bunch of different things. Yeah. No, I think, I think what you said, that second part was really huge. The confidence in your own adaptability kind of, because I feel like a lot of people who haven't moved or anything like that, they are so scared of moving or so scared of going into the unknown because they haven't been forced to be adaptable in the past. And I think that sometimes forced adaptability is required because oftentimes we're not willing to do it ourselves. But if we move we move to a different place or go into a new job or, or try something new, try a, a new activity that gets us out of our comfort zone, we'll begin to realize things about ourselves and like you said, gain confidence in our adaptability. I think that is, uh, I think that's really important. Next thing, did you want to say something on that? A lot of the kind of fear of getting out of your comfort zone is just kind of fake. <laughs> you think that, you know, you're going to be jumping into a different pool and you're not going to learn, know how to swim, but you already have the skill set to make friends and figure stuff out. It might take a little bit longer, but I think just understanding that you still have the ability to swim, even if you're in a different pool is just huge. And it, and it makes you realize that uh, a lot of the fear is unwarranted. And I mean, you can just do a lot with that. Yeah, I think, and I think what you said, it's, it's fake or it's unwarranted. And you also, I think when stepping into something that's new or uncertain or unknown, you forget that there's going to be other people there with you to help you out. You kind of think, okay, there's going to be all these problems that I'm going to experience and I'm going to have to solve them myself. But it's like, no, you're going to have a supporting cast, whether that's your family, your friends, the people you work with, whatever it is, you're going to have people there who are going to help solve those problems for you. And so 
if you're scared of stepping to the unknown, realize that you're not going to have to face everything on your on yourself. Yeah, I mean, all of that and the lesson that everyone is always constantly figuring it out. No one is just like set and has it all figured out at the moment. And to think that, you know, you're going to go do a new thing and then immediately, you know, have it all figured out is just false. Everyone is always constantly figuring it out. It seems like. Yeah. Well, and you've probably, I feel like I've probably told you this before. It's been a long time though, but a guy that I had on my podcast a long time ago, his name was Jim Tunney. He was probably 80 years old at the time that I interviewed him a couple of years ago. And he was a former NFL referee. And he called me a couple of days leading into our podcast to talk. And he was asking me what I was doing. And I was like, I'm in Nashville. I'm just trying to figure it out. And he was like, I'm gonna, let me stop you there. I'm 80 years old and I'm just trying to figure it out. And so that was like really comforting and a profound impact on me. I remember exactly where I was driving when he said it, that it, it had that much of a lasting impact on me. And I think it's so important for us to realize that because sometimes people, when they feel like they're just trying to figure it out, they don't take action because of that. They don't take action because they feel like they are not capable enough or they don't have the skill, they don't have the knowledge or they don't have the experience. But anyways, I want to go ahead and transition into the AT a little bit. Uh, so my brother hiked the Appalachian Trail through hike. Uh, when, when did you do that? What year? In uh, 2018. 2018. And that was, I know, one of the biggest life-changing experiences for him. And, you know, he quit his job beforehand, hiked for a handful of months, and I know it was a life-changing experience. And so I want you to talk a little bit about maybe a couple of the biggest things that you learned and maybe a couple of the biggest things that you learned about yourself by going through that experience. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what we just talked about with the move into a different state and getting out of your comfort zone applies big time to that. I also feel like you would, if you would have stayed, if you would have done a college experience that was more safe, if you will, you might've not turned into the person who would do an AT through hike. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> it's hard to know, right? I feel like there are constantly things that come up in your life where you have to take one direction. And if you took a different one, things could have turned out so differently. That being said, I'm glad that mine has taken the turn the way it has and kind of led me to, to do that. Cause I mean, like you said, it really was probably one of the most life-changing experiences for me. I mean, I was scared to quit my job, had a good job, a lot of friends that I worked with. It was just just a good job. And I was definitely a little bit afraid to quit it. There were definitely some some people that were questioning my decision. Including the parents. Yeah, that, including the parents. <laughs> it was just something that I, I knew I was going to regret not doing. So I just had this kind of craving for adventure and kind of an extreme adventure, not just you know, like a week-long vacation or something. I mean, I'd done a lot of backpacking before I did the AT, a lot of week-long trips, and those are awesome. I still do stuff like that, but I wanted an extended thing where, you know, it wasn't just a temporary reprieve. It was more of an extended thing, but... Um, where do you think your desire for an extended adventure like that came from? I mean, part of it is my my tendency to be a little romantic about the outdoors and stuff like that. I mean, I still have fantasies of like, you know, going 
and building a a cabin deep in the woods and like living there for <laughs> an extended period of time. I'm not sure if that one will happen, but yeah, I don't know. I just definitely uh, kind of a built-in romantic vision of the woods and adventure. I don't know. Growing up watching war movies with dad. <laughs> I yeah. just Man versus wild with bear grills. Man versus wild. A lot of, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was just, it was ingrained in me and then, you know, dad, especially Foster did. And then, you know, getting in with some friends doing some outdoor stuff. I got a little bit of a taste, a little bit of a taste, a little bit of taste. And then I was like, right, I got to go all in for a little bit. Gotcha. So what was the, if there, I know there was a lot of different things, weather wise, some animal wise, just a lot of different body, body wise, shoe wise. I know there was a lot of challenges on the AT. Maybe tell us about one of the biggest challenges you experienced and what that looked like and how you had to work through it. When you said shoes that hit on probably the biggest thing. I mean, when you're carrying 20, 25 pounds on your back and you're walking 15, 20 plus mile days, like you're putting some stress on your body and particularly on your feet. Before I hiked the AT, I was always using, you know, hiking boots, just big, thick, things, you know, thick soles. And then on the AT, people were starting to use kind of trail runner type shoes, running shoes that are meant for trail basically. And I remember finding a pair of those on sale and deciding to wear them to start off the hike. And then I learned pretty quickly on the hike that I picked a very minimal shoe, <laughs> a minimalist shoe. My feet just were not trained for that kind of thing. So, I mean, by the time I got to Virginia, I think it's about 500 miles in, my feet were just absolutely killing me. I got to a town called Damascus, Virginia and bought my first new pair of shoes and that helped a lot. But I think a lot of the damage was kind of already done. You're really supposed to change out your shoes pretty often on the trail. I only did it three times, probably put way too many miles on, on each pair. But I just remember, but by the time I got over halfway, I mean, when I'd get up in the morning and stand up, I would just have excruciating pain, just like shot through my feet. I'd be limping like an old man walking around the campsite. I mean, it would take at least 10 or 15 minutes of walking to get enough blood flow in them to stop hurting. But over time, my feet actually swelled up. I think the Second pair of shoes I bought on the trail were I had to buy a half size bigger. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably get, could have gotten a full size too, but it was just crazy. I, I, I'd never had that kind of pain in my feet before. It's also one of those kinds of pain or discomfort or challenges that you can't escape from because you're always on your feet when you're hiking the AT and it's such a thing that you are aware of. It's in almost impossible to take your mind off of it. But one of the things I just realized that we, I forgot to do is there's going to be a lot of people who are probably listening who are like, what's the Appalachian Trail? What's the AT hike? Give give everybody the quick rundown. It's from North Georgia to Maine. How many miles? How long it took you? That kind of thing real quick. Yeah. So it's a, uh, you know, long, long distance hiking trail from Georgia, uh, Springer Mountain and North Georgia, which is about uh hour and a half from where Nick and I grew up in Atlanta 
and it goes across like 14 states all the way up to Maine and it's 2,200 miles. Usually takes people about five to six months to hike it. And, you know, you typically start in the very early spring or even the very end of the winter. When I started, we, we got snow in North Georgia, we got snow in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. And then, so, so you walk, you basically walk through three seasons, the tail end of winter, all of spring, summer, and then I ended in August. So it's still summer, but some people hike until, you know, mid October. So some people are out there for a full four seasons. If any of you guys are interested, there's some amazing pictures of, I don't even know if there's, if they're on your Facebook or where they are, but I've got some pictures that are freaking awesome. He grew his hair out long. He grew his beard out. I always think he looked like Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> what a, what a uh, compliment. Yeah, yeah. I looked as emaciated as him too. Right. Yeah. How much How much weight did you lose? 20 pounds? 15? Yeah, I lost 20 pounds by the end of it. But the crazy part was that really the first three months, I was out there a total of four and a half months. And the first three months, I maybe lost five pounds. And then it wasn't until the very last four or five weeks where the remaining 15 pounds just came off like crazy. You know, we were in New England, which is probably the toughest part of the trail. You know, you got Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. You got, you know, really steep climbs, really just kind of grueling terrain. And we were also just, I was hiking way more miles per day than I was, you know, early on in the trail up there and I was just having a hard time replacing the calories that I needed. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020 and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, Here's what they had to say. Hi, I'm Marissa, and I joined Nick's 10-week program uh, to train for my half marathon. From week to week, I've just seen myself get stronger and um, runs get easier. Doing it with like a group has been fun. This is my first time doing like a workout class like that, so I really enjoyed it. You should join Nick's 10-week program. Yeah. I don't think I realized it was that severe of a difference with regards to the timeline of when you lost that weight. That's crazy. Let's go ahead and transition on to the next topic that I wanted to ask you about before you uh, turn it over to asking me some things. One of the things that I feel like I have, I've learned a lot of different things from you, but one of the things that I feel like it's probably because it's very recent and I know how much of a profound impact it's had on me with regards to financial knowledge and how to set yourself up for success early on in your professional career, if you will, with your finances and that's that's what you do. You and I both majored in finance, but you went on to actually do something with it, with your career. And so I want you to just kind of touch on for a few minutes, personal finances, a little bit of the framework that you believe works for people to set themselves up for success. That's a great question. I And I'm still, I feel like I'm reading about it all the time, still trying to update my knowledge and and learn, but I'm just, I'm I'm really big on not making things harder than they have to be. And I think personal finances are something that people 
very easily complicate. We were very lucky that our parents kind of ingrained just like saving in us. So like, you know, when we'd, if we'd get, <laughs> if we got $5 in our birthday card or Christmas card, it was like, you know, dad, dad was like, Oh, got to put it in the bank. Yeah. Kind of stuff. So we just kind of getting into the habit of not spending stuff that we, you know, made from chores or whatever, or a few bucks were given for, for birthday and stuff. So just the kind of theme of simplification is so important. I think one of the big things I've actually talked with a couple of friends about this recently, but kind of just like anything the the first thing is to bring consciousness to where your money is actually going. Like, what are you doing with your money? Like you get a paycheck, it comes in every month. You have certain things you have to spend your money on. You have rent, you have utilities, maybe you have a car payment, you've got groceries, you've got gas for your car, you've got various other things. And then just kind of understanding if you ask the average person on the street, like what are your what are your fixed costs? Like what are your fixed expenses? What are the things that you have to spend money on every month and how much are they? I think most people couldn't tell you, you know, I think it's so important to kind of understand what those expenses are and at least be able to know within a couple hundred dollars of how much that is. And then go through probably the more important thing is then going through, you know, your actual variable expenses, you know, what you spend on going out to eat, buying for me, for me, like I buy six packs of beer, like all the time for friends and stuff you know, just, just kind of random things, just understanding where your kind of discretionary money is going. I mean, a lot of times you think you're okay, spending the kind of money you are on, on certain things. But then if you actually figure out exactly what that number is, you might not be, you might be okay with how much you're spending, but you also might not. And even if you change nothing, just bringing kind of that awareness to, to what you're spending money on is important because then you know, that kind of leading into the next thing is it's, it's really, I mean, when you studied finance and accounting, you, you learn about financial statements pretty quickly. When you start looking at them, they seem complicated. And I mean, it took, took me a while to really kind of understand them well, but just understanding that you've got an income statement, right? You've got the money that you make every month. And then you have up here, you've got your money, you've got what you spend your money on, and then you have what's left over. What's left over is what you put into your savings or you invest or stuff like that. So it's, it's, and then it's what's left over that goes to kind of like your balance sheet, which is kind of a big picture of your financial position overall. So, like, income statement is like a period of time. You know, you can say, okay, this is what I made this month. This is what I spent this month. This is what I have left over. You could do the same thing for a year. This is what I made this year. This is what I spent this year. This is what I have left over. Whatever's left over transfers to your balance sheet, just your kind of big picture of your financial situation. And your balance sheet is made up of your, you know, your assets and your liabilities. So liabilities meaning your debt. I think understanding just the basics of how those those things work and how how they play together is is really important. And then that's when you get into, okay, what, as far as my assets go, what's my strategy? What do I need to be doing? So, you know, I think the first thing, the first kind of asset to develop, which, you know, most kind of personal finance gurus 
would tell you is to set up your your rainy day fund, your kind of emergency fund, which people vary on it, but typically it's somewhere between three and nine months of living expenses in that savings account. So, you know, going back to just understanding where your where your money's going, like if you know where your money's going, you know how much you're spending each month, then you take that number and you multiply it by six for six months. And then, you know, if you spend, I mean, most people spend more than a thousand dollars a month, but if you spend a thousand dollars a month, you put $6,000 in your, in your rainy day fund. And, you know, that's just a really important backstop. If you were to lose your job or if you were to get hurt for some reason, or, you know, you know, your car breaks down, some kind of stuff like that, that's, that's there to kind of help you out. So, I mean, kind of funding that account is the first thing. And then kind of after that, that's kind of where you get into investing. If you have a W-2, you're an employee, you get employee income. Hopefully, you know, you have money coming out, going into some type of retirement account, whether it be a 401k or some kind of IRA or something like that. When I'm talking about investing now, I mean, it, I think, and we should also probably say that none of this is financial advice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, the, just the disclaimer. When I talk about investing, like, I mean, if you have an employer match, like whether it's 2%, 3%, 4%, it's like, you know, you want to be contributing to that. It's pretty much free money. You can't really, really withdraw that at all until you're retired. So you kind of just set that on autopilot and almost just forget that it's there. Yeah. And I, this is something that I, I want to touch on touch on that just because I am continually surprised how many people don't know what that is, how many people will read real quickly that their employer is matching a certain percent and they just decide without really knowing whether or not they, what percentage to choose. And a lot of times they will choose the percent just because there's a number there and they, and they choose it. But the employer match is when if you contribute 4% of your paycheck to your retirement account through your employer, then your employer will also match 4%. Most employers say that they're going to match up to a certain percent. So let's say they will say that they match up to 3%. Let's say 3% of your paycheck is 300 bucks. Then you will add 300 bucks to your retirement account. They will also add 300 bucks to your retirement account. Now you can add as much more above 300 that you want, but they're not going to contribute any more than that. But let's say you only contributed 2%, maybe that's 200 bucks, then they will also only contribute 2%. So essentially you're missing out on a free 100 bucks that your employer could be adding into your retirement account. So I just felt like that's important for people to know because it is, like you said, it is actually free money that people should be getting. The only downside, if you will, is that you don't have the extra percentage in your own pocket to spend now if you needed it. If you're not doing the full match, you know, you're, you're definitely leaving money on the table. Just kind of a important kind of baseline thing to cover. It's free money. <laughs> yeah. No. And I think that, I think that framework is really great. If people are not on track with their finances right now, you know, you start off by knowing exactly how much money is coming in so know what your paycheck looks like and or any other income streams and know what your expenses look like, especially like you said, broken down into your fixed expenses and then your discretionary expenses. And then once you take a look at that, then you can 
kind of determine whether the, the, the discretionary expenses should look like that or need to adjust. And then that could affect how much money you have left over. And then, like you said, once you have, know how much money is left over, you kind of want to make sure that you have built out that rainy day fund of three to nine months. And after that, make sure you're uh, maximizing the opportunity that you might have available with your employer. And then after that, like you said, it's it's your decision with what you want to do with investing in different asset classes and, and things of that nature. So that I think that's that's the framework that I know you taught me literally during at the beginning of COVID. Like that was one of the positive things. We had a lot of positive things, I feel like, that fortunately came from that being able to spend some time in Atlanta. But I know you really broke that down for me and it made me confident with my money and knowing where things were going and everything of that nature. So yeah, it's great stuff. A lot of people get intimidated by the subject, but if you just spend a little bit more time, like, you know, reading about it or there's so much stuff on YouTube, I mean, watching YouTube videos, I mean, just kind of being more acquainted with the subject kind of reduces that, that intimidation factor. Once you learn a little bit and you have kind of your own little system going, it's very, it's very freeing. Obviously things come up and you might get anxious about money at some point, but in general, just bringing more kind of awareness to, to how your money actually works and, you know, what you're spending on, what you're doing with it. It's the first step. And it's also very, very simple. A lot of people just overcomplicate it. And I think. Well, I think, I think it's, I think it's really important too. I think it actually relates to the topic that we were talking about before with regards to unknown or uncertainty. And I always kind of relate looking at your bank account to stepping on the scale because a lot of people are fear what the number might be when they step on the scale and therefore they don't step on the scale. And then it gets to a point down the road where it's at a number that they really don't like. And they've gone so far down the wrong path that they have to work extra hard to get on the right path. And so a lot of people are are fearful of maybe looking at their bank account, seeing how much money is coming in, seeing how much money is going out. But then once you have the courage, if you will, to, to face that fear, to see what's going on, it's like once you face your fear, you become more, you become stronger in order to overcome it. You know, it's like Jordan Peterson talks about it all the time. If a child is scared about the monster in the closet, the solution is not to open the closet. The solution is to maybe walk over there and gradually open it up and peer inside. And once you realize there's either nothing there or it's not as bad as you might have expected, then you then have the strength to work through it and overcome it. And I, I think that's just such the case with money because I know a lot of people are scared to see what's actually going on. And it's, it's a combination of scared slash confusion slash overwhelm. But the more that you gain clarity, competence, education around it, the better suited you are to manage it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a good segue into, uh, you know, some of the things I want to talk about with you. Man, that was an absolute blast. Those are the kinds of conversations that honestly, I actually do have with my brother. I was getting ready to say that I don't get to have with him, but I have those conversations with my brother probably at least once a month. It's oftentimes not a very short phone call when we talk. We like to talk about big things. We like to talk about life and what's going on and philosophy and, and, th and things of that nature. And so you guys got a little bit of taste of what our weekly or monthly phone calls might look like. But make sure if you enjoyed the episode that you share it with a friend or family member by sending them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoyed it, then make sure you leave a five-star 
rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. That would be a huge help. All you have to do is scroll to the bottom and click rate and review. But if you enjoyed this episode, then part two is going to be coming out where it's mostly my brother interviewing me and we have some great conversations around goal setting, around setting yourself up with realistic expectations about following through with the promises that you make to yourself about how to make sure that you're not overwhelmed with all the things that you have going on in your life, but how you can make sure you stay organized with the different areas of life that you're trying to attack at the moment. So make sure you check out part two as well. But I really appreciate you guys tuning in today with my part one of the conversation with my brother. I enjoyed it. He'd enjoyed it. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed it as well, but make sure you share it with a friend or family member and make sure you go out and take action so that you can continue to get closer and closer to your best you.